0: Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Monday, May 11th, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, a flaw in Thunderbolt basically means no computers are secure. Qualcomm's new flagship chip, Eric Schmidt has finally left the Googleplex, detecting malware via grayscale images, Apple is reopening stores, and we might have a new tech IPO as soon as next month. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. researcher says that Thunderbolt ports have an unpatchable flaw that could allow hackers with physical access to the port to have the ability to circumvent data safeguards. This so-called Thunder Spy attack takes less than five minutes to pull off, and it affects any PC manufactured before 2019. So some new PCs are not affected, and actually I've seen some reports that AMD chips might not be affected, but quoting from Wired, On Sunday, Eindhoven University of Technology researcher Bjorn Reutenberg revealed the details of a new attack method he's calling ThunderSpy. On Thunderbolt-enabled Windows or Linux PCs manufactured before 2019, his technique can bypass the login screen of a sleeping or locked computer and even its hard disk encryption to gain full access to the computer's data. And while his attack in many cases requires opening a target laptop's case with a screwdriver, it leaves no trace of intrusion and can be pulled off in just a few minutes. That opens a new avenue to what the security industry calls an evil-made attack, the threat of any hacker who can get alone time with a computer in, say, a hotel room. Reitenberg says there's no easy software fix, only disabling the Thunderbolt port altogether will work. Quote, All the evil maid needs to do is unscrew the backplate, attach a device momentarily, reprogram the firmware, reattach the backplate, and the evil maid gets full access to the laptop, says Reutenberg, who plans to present his Thunder Spy research at the Black Hat Security Conference this summer, or the virtual conference that may replace it. Again, all of this can be done in under five minutes. Security researchers have long been wary of Intel's Thunderbolt interface as a potential security issue. It offers faster speeds of data transfer to external devices, in part by allowing more direct access to a computer's memory than other ports, which can lead to security vulnerabilities. A collection of flaws in Thunderbolt components known as Thunderclap— revealed by a group of researchers last year, for instance, showed that plugging a malicious device into a computer's Thunderbolt port can quickly bypass all of its security measures. As a remedy, those researchers recommended that users take advantage of a Thunderbolt feature known as security levels, disallowing access to untrusted devices or even turning off Thunderbolt altogether in the operating system settings. That would turn the vulnerable port into a mere USB and display port. But Reutenberg's new technique allows an attacker to bypass even those security settings, altering the firmware of the internal chip responsible for the Thunderbolt port and changing its security settings to allow access to any device. It does so without creating any evidence of that change visible to the computer's operating system, end quote. So can I just underline again what this all means? If your computer has a Thunderbolt port... An attacker who gets even brief access to it could read and copy all of your data, even if your drive is encrypted and even if your computer is locked or set to sleep. So not good. As Caitlin Chippenow tweeted, quote, Thunderspy works even if you follow best security practices by locking or suspending your computer when leaving briefly, and if your system administrator has set up the device with secure boot, strong BIOS and operating system account passwords, and enabled full disk encryption. End quote. While Nicholas Magand tweeted, quote, say what you will about the VGA port, but it had never let us down like this. Thunderbolt? More like Thunderdolt, end quote. Qualcomm has officially unveiled the Snapdragon 768G processor with faster graphics performance and global 5G support. By faster performance, let me be specific. Apparently 25% faster CPU and GPU performance compared to the Snapdragon 765G. MMWave and also sub 6 GHz 5G with 120 Hz at 1080p resolution. This is from Engadget. The 2.8 GHz Cryo 475 CPU is estimated to run about 15% faster than the 2.4 gigahertz part in the 765G, while the Adreno 620 graphics promise a similar performance boost, including 120 hertz support at 1080p. This is also the first Snapdragon 700 series chip to support upgradable GPU drivers, letting you fine-tune the visual performance almost like you would with a gaming PC. Network speed matters as well, of course, The 768G is part of Qualcomm's second wave of 5G-capable systems on a chip, and that means global 5G with both millimeter-wave and sub-6GHz frequencies for, quote, all key regions. You can expect speeds of up to 3.7 Gbps downstream and 1.6 Gbps upstream, although that likely means getting very, very close to an MM MMWave 5G site, end quote. Sources are reporting that Eric Schmidt has left his role as technical advisor to Alphabet. In fact, he reportedly left in February, thereby ending his 19-year tenure at Google. Quoting CNET, Schmidt's role at Google had gradually diminished after he stepped down as CEO in 2011. Still, his ties to the company have spurred blowback as Schmidt increased his work on U.S. military initiatives. Schmidt chairs the Defense Innovation Board, an advisory group aimed at bringing new technology to the Pentagon, including advancements in machine learning. He's also chairman of the National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence, which advises Congress on AI for defense. Critics, though, worry Schmidt could unfairly push Google's financial interests when it comes to his work with the military. Earlier this week, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said Schmidt would serve as chair of a commission that'll be tasked with updating that state's technological infrastructure and practices during and after the coronavirus pandemic. The group will tackle subjects including telehealth, internet broadband, and remote learning, Schmidt said. The appointment also prompted concerns about the influence of big tech in the public sector, especially given Google's past data privacy scandals. Schmidt, 65, joined Google after serving as CEO of software maker Novell. He was introduced to Google founders Page and Brin by two of Google's most prominent backers at that time, venture capitalist John Doerr of Kleiner Perkins and Mike Moritz of Sequoia Capital. During Schmidt's tenure, the company expanded beyond its roots as a search engine to tackle other technologies, including mobile phones and online video. It also adopted a corporate structure that reflected its growing financial success. Schmidt helped take the company public in 2004, a stock market debut that made him a billionaire. Schmidt still holds about $5.3 billion in the company's stock, end quote. A couple of cool solutions to tell you about today. First, Microsoft and Intel have developed an approach to detecting malware that, this is clever, involves first converting its binary form into a grayscale image and then applying deep learning methods to analyze the image. Which is pretty wild, right? Quoting ZDNet. The Intel Microsoft research team said the entire process followed a few simple steps. The first consisted of taking an input file and converting its binary form into a stream of raw pixel data. Researchers then took this one-dimensional pixel stream and converted it into a 2D photo so that normal image analysis algorithms can analyze it. The width of the image was selected based on the input file's size. The height was dynamic and resulted from dividing the raw pixel stream by the chosen width value. After assembling the raw pixel stream into a normal-looking 2D image, researchers then resized the resulting photo to a smaller dimension. The Intel and Microsoft teams said that resizing the raw image did not, quote, negatively impact the classification result, and this was a necessary step so that the computational resources won't have to work with images consisting of billions of pixels, which would most likely slow down processing. The resized images were then fed into a pre-trained deep neural network that scanned the image, 2D representation of the malware strain, and classified it as clean or infected, Microsoft says it provided a sample of 2.2 million infected portable executable file hashes to serve as a base for the research. Researchers used 60% of the known malware samples to train the original DNN algorithm, 20% of the files to validate the DNN, and the other 20% for the actual testing process. The research team said Stamina achieved an accuracy of 99.07% in identifying and classifying malware samples with a false positive rate of just 2.58%, end quote. Whenever I need to do financial research for this show, for instance, during tech earnings season when I have to analyze how various companies' stocks have been performing I only ever turn to our sponsor today, Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They are the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact. Helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Microsoft is also rolling out something that it has tested internally. Something called a Reply All Storm Protection Feature for Office 365 customers. Once you hear what this does, you can see why this might be more than welcome. In essence, this tool will let IT staff detect and head off one of those horrible situations when someone at your company replies all to everyone in your entire company, and, well, you know how that goes. Aside from it being annoying, something like that can actually cause company email servers to go down. This even happened recently at Microsoft, in January of last year, and in fact just last month, clogging that company's internal communications for hours. Quoting once more from ZDNet... The feature started rolling out this week to all Office 365 users worldwide. In its current form, Microsoft says the Reply All storm protection feature will block all email threads with more than 5,000 recipients that have generated more than 10 Reply All sequences within the last 60 minutes. Once the feature gets triggered, Exchange Online will block all replies in the email thread for the next four hours, helping servers prioritize actual emails and shut down the Reply All storm. Microsoft said it would also continue working on the feature going forward, promising to add controls for Exchange admins so they can set their own storm detection limits. Other planned features also include reply-all storm reports and real-time notifications to alert administrators of an ongoing email storm so that they can keep an eye on the email server's status for possible slowdowns or crashes. And since Microsoft had had its own run-ins with email storms recently, its own network provided the best testing ground for the feature. Quote, humans still behave like humans no matter which company they work for, the exchange team said this week. We're already seeing the first version of the feature successfully reduce the impact of Reply All Storms within Microsoft, end quote. Late Friday, Apple announced that it will begin reopening some of its U.S. retail stores this week, starting with select stores in Idaho, South Carolina, Alabama, and Alaska. Apple will limit the amount of customers that it is letting in to these stores at any one time and will also check temperatures at entry, quoting 9to5Mac. The company closed the majority of its 510 locations worldwide in the first half of March and has recently taken steps to restore critical support and service functions at a handful of stores across Australia, Austria, Germany, and South Korea. To reopen in the U.S., Apple is implementing precautions similar to those it tested when stores reopened in Asia, Europe, and Australia, end quote. And quoting from CNBC, Apple has only six stores in those states named and did not confirm that all of them are opening next week. Overall, Apple has 510 stores globally and 271 stores in the U.S. Apple said, that the primary focus of the stores will be fixing products and that it will put safety procedures in place to protect staff and customers from the coronavirus, including temperature checks for employees and customers, social distancing, and face coverings for employees. Quote, our new social distance protocol allows for a limited number of visitors in the store at one time, so there may be a delay for walk-in customers. We recommend, where possible, customers buy online for contactless delivery or in-store pickup, Apple said in a statement, end quote. And finally, here's something that I didn't expect to wake up to this morning. Online used car seller Vroom has apparently filed confidentially for an IPO, setting its sights on a June debut. In its most recent round of funding, just this past December, Vroom was valued at $1.5 billion. And in case I'm slurring a bit, I should be clear that I'm saying Vroom, V-R-O-O-M, quoting The Wall Street Journal. Vroom hopes to draft behind rival Carvana, a better-known online car seller whose shares have jumped sevenfold since its 2017 IPO. After falling 80% during the broader market sell-off in March, Carvana's shares have recovered to trade near record levels. With social distancing measures keeping consumers at home, online car sellers could benefit at the expense of traditional dealers if buyers opt for digital shopping and at-home delivery experiences over visiting dealer lots. Market volatility this year has largely quieted the market for IPOs across many industries in the U.S. In the first two weeks of April, only two companies went public, raising a few hundred million dollars, according to data provider DealLogic. And only one tech company has gone public in all of 2020, according to data from IPO expert Jay Ritter, a finance professor at the University of Florida. Some of last year's offerings have performed poorly, including ride-hailing companies Uber and Lyft. While We Company, parent of office sharing company WeWork, nearly collapsed after pulling its IPO last fall. End quote. Yeah, quite brave of Vroom to be the first company sticking its head out above the parapet at this moment. Although I can see, based on what we just said, that maybe they think they're well positioned for the current COVID reality. And fortune does sometimes favor the bold. Though apparently, until recently, Vroom while primarily known for selling used cars online, still sold more than half of its cars via traditional dealerships. So maybe that's what this is about. They need this extra capital to go whole hog into the virtual sales space. Another book recommendation that I just stumbled across this weekend, some real data porn for you data nerds, or history nerds, or just... Sociology nerds, I guess. The book is called Atrocities, and it's by this dude, Matthew White, who for years has maintained the historical atlas of the 20th century website. A few years ago, he published Atrocities, which outlines the deadliest episodes in human history. Like, he literally ranks them in order. What were the worst wars, the worst natural disasters, genocides, etc. over the course of human history? How many people really died? What were the contours of each, etc. This book actually came out several years ago, but it's new to me, and I was someone who was brought up with things like the Book of Lists and the Guinness Book of World Records, so this is right up my alley, even if the subject matter is grim, but look, What can I tell you? I do want to know how many people the Roman gladiator games killed over the years. I want to hear about things that I've never heard of before, like the Fang La Rebellion or the debate over the real death toll of the Thirty Years' War. Or I'm just stunned to learn that the war of the Spanish succession was way more deadly than I ever knew. Anyway, if you're into this sort of stuff, it's super nerdy, super grim, but super fun link to the book in the show notes. It's called Atrocities. Talk to you tomorrow.